phylacteries. Jonesboro has a lot of phylacteries. <laughs> I, I thought of that one. That was too good to pass up. Yeah. Uh, anyway, what they were was like a hide-a-key, only it was a hide-a-scripture, and they would hide them in these little boxes, and they would put them on their clothes and on their foreheads so that they had scripture attached to them all the time. Flactories, that's what those were. Um, that's what my note says here on chapter 23, verse 5. No, no, that's, that's what they were. But anyway, they, they just make a show. That's the idea. Uh, good evening. Glad you made it out again and grateful for your attendance in the evening. Um, uh, because Sunday nights, you know, uh, are, are usually thinner. And so it's the, it's the people um, who are here I appreciate in the evenings that we get a chance to kind of dig a little more. And I'm grateful for your presence. I, I'm, I'm grateful for uh, so many activities that are going on. But our, we got a revival coming up in November. And here in a couple weeks, you'll be given this 40 days of devotional and prayer that we're going to share together. It's, it's going to be a little booklet that you use with your picture directory as we pray, to, as, we, as we have verses that we read together. Not, not together, but I mean in your own life. But we will do the same devotional in every home of everyone who participates. You'll read a scripture, have a devotional thought that's about two or three minutes long with your family, and then there's a, a, a prayer list that you make every day. And we're going to pray for every single member during that 40 days. You're going to have everybody praying for everybody over the course of 40 days. And I can't think of a better thing to do for us as a congregation than do that together. So that's going to be coming up. I'm excited about that. And, and that will be to you here pretty soon. We're in Matthew 23 tonight. A couple weeks ago, I made this plea, don't be a Christian Sadducee, uh, because that's who we were dealing with back in chapter 22. Now in chapter 23 is this whole chapter where Jesus just lets the Pharisees and the Sadducees have it. Because truthfully, uh, when, you, when you look at us as a church trying to be silent where the Bible is silent and speak where the Bible speaks and try to be as, as accurate to Scripture as we can... The real danger for us is not Sadduceeism. The real danger uh, that we would fall prey to is being a Pharisee. A Pharisee wanted to be right. He wanted to be right, and he wanted everybody else to be right. And he wanted to teach everybody how to be right. And he would, and he would take Scripture and be as accurate as he could. That, that first that reading that, that, that Tony did, uh, Jesus is not attacking their teaching. He's attacking the fact that they don't practice what they preach. He says, do what they do, I mean, do what they say, but don't do what they do. And, and, and so he said, hey, they're, they're good teachers. The only problem would be they went beyond the written scriptures and went to the oral law too and brought those traditions up and made them equal to scripture. Now, I know there's no way possible that we in Churches of Christ could bring our traditions up on par with scripture. We've never done that before, have we? Surely not. Surely tradition's not a problem for us, but it so easily could be. Listen, that desire to be as right as you can be is a good desire, but it can run amok. It can get the best of you, and, it, and you fall prey to doing exactly what the Pharisees did. There's a couple of things about Jesus that are very weird in this chapter. First of all, he has an absolute attack unbridled attack against the Pharisees and Sadducees. 
He absolutely digs up everything and he has no tact whatsoever. He blasts them here publicly. Secondly is this. I don't think there's a Pharisee present. So he's really talking about them when they're not there. Notice this, at the end of verse tw chapter 22, no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare ask him any more questions. It's like Pharisees and Sadducees walk away and leave him alone. Chapter 23, verse 1, Then Jesus said to whom? Who's he speaking to? Crowds and the disciples. It doesn't look like there's any Pharisees around. Jesus is now looking at the crowds that are following him and also his own disciples, and he's going to let them use the Pharisees as a visual aid on how not to be. Jesus is blasting them, and unless they're part of the crowds, and they very well could be, there's no indication the Pharisees are even present. But what's he trying to do? Two things. For the crowds, it's to say this, evaluate your teachers. Not everyone who preaches is preaching the truth. Not everyone is, is worthy to be a teacher. So those of you in the crowd, when you go around and you thought the only people you've ever listened to are Pharisees and you think that's the only, the only kind of teaching you can get, he says, I want you to practice discernment with the people who are preaching and teaching. And you know what? I want you to do the same thing, church. You need to practice discernment. Don't just listen to any person on TV. Don't just listen to any CD. Don't, I mean, listen to it, but don't just swallow it. Don't just take it uncritically. Be critical. Be critical of every sermon I preach. Be critical of every class you ever hear here. Anytime you sit in a class, if it's Kelly Phipps, if it's Jeff Madden, I don't care who it is, practice discernment. And then he's talking to the disciples. And he's saying, you guys be good teachers. I know your only example you've ever had is Pharisees. They're the ones who teach everybody. And you think that's good teaching, but listen, I'm going to give you some stuff on them that tells you what you should be looking for. I want you guys, don't just teach. Don't just fill the time in your class time, teachers. Don't just throw something out there to take up the time of 35 minutes until the bell rings. Don't you do that. If that's what you do, don't sign on to teach. That's a few minutes that we get in the Word together, and it needs to count, and it needs to matter, and it needs to be well-prepared, and it needs to be well-treated. So he says to the disciples, don't just be teachers. Be a good teacher when you teach. Okay, so what does that mean? He blasts away what he calls seven woes against the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're really the same thing, saying over and over again. He piles on the evidence, but there's two real things. I'm going to put them in short, pithy statements. You right? Short statements you could remember. Shorthand for how not to be a Pharisee. Number one, preach what really matters. Don't waste people's time with things that don't matter. Preach the word. Not just a bunch of traditions. Now this can be abused. There's some judgment you have to practice in this, and we won't all agree on it. But there's a couple of sides we can err on with this. Number one, we treat lightly something that's very heavy. We treat lightly something that's very important. Notice verses 23 and 24. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. This you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Here's the thing. 
they decided tithing needs to be really serious. So when you buy salt, you pour out all your salt on the table and you count out nine grains and you keep it and you give one grain to God. We want to be careful with our tithing. But when you go out to a restaurant and there's somebody waiting on you and they're not fast enough for you, you just let them have it. You don't be kind. You don't be respectful. You don't be patient. No, no, no. Let them have it. If they're going to serve you, they better do a good job. And if they don't, don't you tip at all. And they went out there and they were disrespectful. They were unfriendly. They were unkind. And they didn't think that mattered all that much to God. If you have to lower your offering sometime in order to be nice to people, Lower your offering, he would say. This is what he says. There's weightier things and there are are lighter things. And i got to tell you, there's no way we can get around this. There are teachings of Scripture that are weightier than others. They're all important, but some are just weightier. And kindness and compassion and generosity are the heavy hitters. Let's major on those things. And so he says, it's awful easy to to, to take these things that are heavy and kind of, oh, it doesn't matter, but this really matters. Let's make sure that we do everything right on that one hour of Sunday morning. Make sure you do this all perfectly right here. Don't you switch up the bread and the fruit of the vine. But whether you are ever kind or compassionate or patient with people on the outside or whether you're nice to your spouse and whether you are very kind to your kids doesn't matter. That's what the Pharisees were like. They had all these weird things. Notice verse 4. They created extra burdens from the law and tradition, and they put them on people, and they didn't even think about the position the people were in. Let me give you an example. They made everybody do ceremonial washing for all the time. Now, there was ceremonial washing in the Old Testament, but only for the high priest and the priests, the Levites. They had to do this before they did certain things in the temple. But the common people, the regular people, didn't have to do all that. But they said, we want the common people to be as holy as the priests. So everybody, everywhere, all the time, all day long, I want you to, I want you to put the ceremonial washing, which is meticulous. And There are some occupations, some places that didn't have enough water. It became the most incredible burden to put on everybody, and it was completely unnecessary. But they just decided we're going to pass all these laws from our elder board and put them on people, and it doesn't matter how burdensome it gets. Listen, I'm one of these people. I'm high on church attendance. I I learn more and more every year just how important us getting together like this is. And I don't say it to you because, you because you need to do it because God's demanding of it. Can I tell you this? Church attendance isn't for God. Church attendance isn't for Him. You being here or not being here is not going to hurt God. Church attendance is for you. And He knows you need it. And so He tells you this should be important. But listen, if you're, if you're talking to Emily Malone... And because of a last-second change and somebody else's plans or an emergency comes up and they call her and say, we need uh, need your nursing skills at NEA today, I am not going to make guilt on her or put angst or burden on her and say, sometime during this day you better find a church and go to do church attendance. She's got a job that has this skill that's very important, and if she's demanded on Sunday, I'm not going to put this layer of guilt and send her a card that says, you've forsaken the assembly. And I'm just not going to do that. Now, if Emily, on the other hand, has a day off, 
And she decides she just needs to take a trip to Walmart, and she goes through Walmart and puts that on Facebook. I'm amazed at people who, who miss church when they could be there, but they put the evidence of where they were on Facebook. That baffles me. At least fool me, right? At least fool the preacher by making him think, oh, you were sick or you were doing something important. No, we weren't. We were, we were just walking through Memphis, you know, like the old song says, or whatever. I, I don't care. You know what? I'm not going to come hunt you down. That's between you and God, and that is an issue. What he wants us to know is, I want to tell you this is important for you, and guard it. But if you have this spot that comes up and you've got to go to work for this particular reason, I don't want you feeling unnecessary guilt for it either. I'm not going to put that stuff on you. So the first thing that happens is, is that, and they treat lightly something that's vital, but you can also make something complicated that is really very simple. God wants us to be a people of our word. When you say something, do it. Follow through on it. And he also wants you to be a person who respects and honors your parents. But the Pharisees had a funny way of doing this. You see in one paragraph that was read a moment ago, you know what they're, what they're they go through this and they go, you know, well, if you swear, if you swear to somebody you're going to do something, but it's, you swear by something that's not all that valuable. It ain't no big deal whether you keep it or not. If it is valuable, you swear on the gold of the temple, well, then it really matters, and you better keep your word. And Jesus is sitting back going, what? How about this? Guard every word with integrity. This is easy. I don't have to protect some and not protect others. Just be a people of your word. If you say something, God is witness to your words. And as far as honoring your parents, they said, you know, if you swear Corbin... If you swear Corbin, there's certain obligations to your parents you no longer owe. You've given it to God, so therefore, you don't have to mess with your parents in this way. That is ridiculous. And Jesus says, listen, here's the deal. Honor your parents. Keep your word. It's as that simple. Don't make things complicated like this. Hear them with simplicity. What God's Spirit meant to say to us. I want to say to you, prayer is important, and you need to be people of prayer. We need to be people who converse with God a lot. But I'm not going to spend a lot of time telling you what posture you should have or whether you should be bowing your head and closing your eyes or what time of the day you should pray. It doesn't matter any of that stuff. The, The fact is I want us to be people of prayer and however you choose to do it, and you could have some very weird, unorthodox ways of doing this. So be it. It's the prayer that's important. It's not all this minutia that sometimes gets built around it. Let's major in truth in the heart of God. So practice, uh, preach what's important, and you won't be a Pharisee. Secondly, it's this. Once you preach what's important, practice it. Practice what you preach. This seems to be the more serious of the two complaints Jesus has. Why would you not? If you know the truth, and you can even present the truth, what would stop you from then living it? What would be in the way of carrying out what you already know is the right thing? And there's a couple of reasons you see that Jesus expresses here. First of all, you want to appear impressive to those who think that you follow through with it. You want to look like you believe it and look like you live it 
And you do long enough for the people who are your witnesses and your audience to believe that's you, but as soon as you leave their presence, you go back to reality. It's not fully authentic. Do the minimum, convince the people that's how you really are. Be just righteous enough to convince several people that you're that way 100% of the time. I know parents who do this. I've watched parents. There's some parents that are really permissive. They aren't really involved with their kids. But if, if their kids do something wrong, they get loud and obnoxious so that other people hear how strict they are with them when you know in reality they aren't. It's funny. It's funny how this works. You'll hear that at Walmart, too. And you'll hear that on church. I've done this before. I have, in the past, when, when, when Noah was very young in particular, I would punish him excessively hard. You know why? Because I know the church thought I should. Because I knew I had people watching me who thought I should. And whether I thought I should or not, whether my judgment was right about that or not, I knew people were watching who thought I should be. And that is hypocritical parenting. I've been guilty of that in the past. A total show. Now, here's the difference between imperfection which, by the way, is me. I can present whatever image I have of me, and you will believe it, and you'll think it's that way all the time, but guys, I only have to fool you for about an hour and a half every once in a while. And then Wednesday night, do kind of an update, you know, and you see me passing in the hall, and, and you think, well, that's the way all the time. Can I tell you? I'm full of flaws. In between Sunday at noon and about 5.30... There's full of flaws, and then I straighten up for about an hour, and then at night I'm kind of irritable on Sunday nights. And Monday you never know, and then Wednesday I straighten up real good for about an hour for you, right? The rest of the time I'm pretty flawed. But I don't think it's hypocrisy, and here's why. Because I'll tell you so. Or if you want to, tell, you want to talk to Melissa, she'll fill you in on that. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you this is the way all the time. Here's how I want to be. Here's how I want to look, and I want it to be genuine. I want it to be sincere all the time, but i got to tell you, I'm full of flaws, and so therefore, I'm imperfect, and I repent all the time. Hypocrisy is when you're just content with it. I'm fooling you. I know it. I have no intent on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday really living this for real, but I want to convince you that I believe it and that I'm doing it, and so I convince you just enough, and then I go back to normal for myself. That's called hypocrisy, and the only difference, really, in visible uh, description between imperfection and hypocrisy is repentance. The hypocrite has no intention of changing. The imperfect person laments that he can't get it right all the time. So those of you who know you're imperfect and you constantly come before God in repentance, can I tell you, you are a good, imperfect Christian. And that's what God's looking for. For those of you who know full well the two lives you're living and you're just fine playing the game on both sides, you're a hypocrite. And that's a painful reality. That's what the Pharisees were. The other reason you might have a discrepancy between what you preach and what you actually do is one of the weirdest things I've witnessed in my life. There are some who believe that God is only interested in behavior modification, not inner man transformation. I want you to look at verse 25. 
Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean out the inside of the cup and plate, and the outside will be clean too. Start from the inside. God's concerned about your inner man. He's concerned about who you really are. But I know some people who think God's only concerned about what you present to other people. And it's not hypocrisy for these people. This is just formal religion. That's all God's really interested in, your hands and your behavior that's visible. I've been to these scholar conferences and Bible studies and I study a certain scripture, or more likely for me, these preachers who talk about what ministry would look like from this scripture, right? One of them I remember, a name that some of you would know. He's this really elite scholar guy, and he's really fascinating to listen to. But as we were listening to him publicly, he was very impressive. When we went to eat with him, he cussed like a sailor. And he didn't, he didn't apologize for it at all. He didn't think it was any big deal. God's only concerned about your formal behavior. He doesn't really care about your private life. So hey, come to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night if you're really religious and Wednesday night if you're going to heaven for sure. Go to all those things. But whether it affects what you watch on screens at your house doesn't matter. Watch whatever you want. I've talked to Christians who believe the Christian faith and they think they're doing great. They're coming to church on a regular basis, but you know what? They're living with each other before marriage. And you talk to them about it and they don't see anything wrong with it. There's no discrepancy in their mind between what they're presenting publicly and what they're actually living. And, and, talk to, and I'm trying to argue them into seeing that this is important. And I find it weird. How can you possibly live together before marriage and not think it's an issue? How can you possibly do that as a person who comes into the presence of God's people on a regular basis? It happens. It's the weirdest thing. And apparently the Pharisees were like this. I love that you think that church attendance is important. I believe it too. But I'm baffled when I look around at people who don't even participate in the worship that's here. I find that weird. Why bother coming if you're not going to open your mouth and sing? I don't get it. How can you say, well, this is important, but I'm not going to participate when I get here? Like sitting on the premises is just like standing on the promises. No, it's not. It's weird. I don't understand that. Why bother if you're not going to be engaged at all? It's different. I was going to have people come up to me and say, How dare you? My throat was killing. I'm not talking about a sword. I'm not talking about someone who has no voice. I'm talking about a person who's fully capable of joining in for the church and one voice to God in praise, and you intentionally refrain. I find that weird. Like God's only interested in my formal presence, not in my full engagement. So what will it look like if we actually learn from the Pharisees what not to do? You will not be a Pharisee if your motive is as right as you can get it. You want to be right with God. I don't want to just get this right to say I'm right. You want to be right with God and have a dynamic walk with Him. And you want others to be right with God. You want your inner man to be transformed into the image of God so that others can witness the truth through you. That's the main reason you're here. Not to check off anything and not to just impress somebody else. You are here as one facet 
of God's program to change you from the inside out. That's why you're here. You want to be saved, you want to stay saved, and you want to encourage other people to experience the same thing. My favorite passage about this, if I can see it, and if not, you'll see my head again on the back. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them. This is Paul to Timothy in Ephesus who's preaching for him in his place. And he says, so that everyone may see your progress. Now here's why we do what we do. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Pay attention to how you live and what you believe. Pay attention. Why? Persevere in them because if you do, you will save, you will save yourself and your hearers. Do you know why we're here tonight? You know why you should be here tonight? To save yourself and your hearers. You should be here to keep yourself saved and encourage people who are not. And you know that you need this as part of that? That's your motive. And you won't be a Pharisee if this is your motive. You will not be a Pharisee if your motive is as right as you can get it. Secondly, you will not be a Pharisee if your instruction is as right as you can get it. Don't allow a strong temptation to just be faithful to tradition, obscure what's important to God. Don't allow layers of opinion to filter in and obstruct access to the truth of God. I'm going to keep this as faithful to the text as I can get it. I won't swallow, what does he say, swallow a camel and strain it in that, verse 24. Go overboard on the little, the, the little stuff and, and nullify the big stuff. Have you noticed that we in Churches of Christ fuss over the craziest stuff? Have you noticed this? There's a division over anything that you can imagine. It amazes me how anybody came up with the idea that we should argue over some of these things. That's just kind of our history. And we're not unique to any person and any group of people in the world. But our instruction needs to be majoring on the right stuff the best we can. And you won't be a Pharisee if you do that. And finally, you won't be a Pharisee if your behavior will be as right as you can get it. Do what's right. And when you fail, and you will, when you fail, repent. God made this easy. He made this easy. I'm going to tell you what's right, so do it. And when you fail, I'm going to give you an avenue of repentance. And you get restored to right. Don't do things just for show. I'm reading a book right now that should be another Bible class, and so it may be Kelly Phipps' next class, who knows. Every time I make a reference, he picks it up, and I love that. This is a book that's entitled, Who God Says You Are, A Christian Understanding of Identity. There's nine identity marks that make up a person, and the scriptures have a lot to say about all of them. But one of them is this. You're a Christian by what you do. Not by what you say, not even by what you believe, but what you do. And I want you to listen to this one paragraph. It could have been written by me, I'm telling you. Let's get something straight from the beginning. If you do not act like a Christian, you are not a Christian. Yes, I'm willing to die on that hill. There's no such thing as an identity that does not act. If you do not treat people, especially spouses and your family members, from and within Christian virtues, there is serious doubt as to whether you're a Christian. And no, I do not believe in salvation by works, but I do know that faith involves attachment. 
to and participation with Christ. And if that's the case, you cannot be attached to Christ without acting in accord with his character to a very large extent. Identity informs behavior. I think he's right. And here's how he concludes this paragraph. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about a serious living out of faith. Agreeing with Christian ideas and goals does not make one a Christian. It just makes you an admirer of Christianity. What makes you a Christian is living them. I think that's true. You won't be a Pharisee if you have the best motive that you can have. If you have the best instruction that you can get. Get it as right as you can get. And if your behavior is as right as you can get it, and when you fall short of any of these, you repent. Do these things, and you won't fall into that trap, that tendency of tilting toward the Pharisees in your teaching and your living. You'll be real, and God will be pleased, and the people that you live around will be more likely to be impressed by what you're saying. That's what God is asking of us, after all. Don't be a Pharisee. Be a person who lives a genuine life as best you can, full of repentance. There's anyone here this evening who needs to make things right. Repent of the idea of living your life by your terms, coming to Christ, being immersed in the waters of baptism, or if you've done that, and you know what? You're, not, you're just not acting the part. You're just not living the Christian life, and you want to get that identity straightened out. This evening, we make time to make this possible for you. If you need to respond in some way, make it known as we stand and as we sing. Hark the gentle voice of Jesus.